Staying true to America's national destiny, the voice of the awakening. Your host, Bishop E. W. Jackson. The message is entitled today, the first in this series, How to Be Successful. How to Be Successful. Now, those of you who are, 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 are tracking with me are probably thinking, well, don't you mean how to be successful as a Christian? Or don't you mean how to experience Christian success? No, I mean how to be successful because I'm convinced of this, that without God, there is no true success. If you, if you are not succeeding through God, if God is not involved in whatever enterprise you think you're succeeding at, you're not truly successful. See, 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. And the world is passing away and the lust of it. But those who do the will of God abide forever. Now, this is telling us something. I would translate it for our purposes this way. Don't love earthly and worldly success. I'm hearing a rumbling. Don't love earthly and worldly success. If you love earthly and worldly success, you do not love God. For worldly success, which is based on the lust for money, the lust for power, the lust for things, and pride in what you have or own, is not about intimate relationship with the Father, but intimate relationship with the world. And worldly success is temporary, and the lust that it produces is temporary, and intimate relationship with the world is temporary. But intimate relationship with God and the success it produces is permanent and eternal. Those who are successful in Christ will enjoy their success forever. That text is teaching us two different definitions and approaches to success. So the only path then to true success as God would define it, is through Christ Jesus. That's the only path to true success. Because everything else is passing. And in light of eternity, it's insignificant. So success based on anything else but God is abject failure. Now, it may not seem that way in the context where everybody who talks about success is talking about money, Talking about fame, wow. Talking about influence, but see, all of that stuff without God is a mirage. And see, Christians can get hung up on this too. Now, today's Oxford Language Dictionary defines success as, quote, the accomplishment of an aim or purpose. But if that's success, then you can be a successful thief. You can be a successful murderer. You can be a successful rapist. You, you can be a successful con man. 
You could be a successful prostitute. You could, I mean, if that's the definition of success, then success is a completely neutral idea. And anything that you do that you accomplish is therefore success. But I, that's not what God has in mind. Amen? Amen. Amen. Uh, if that's the definition of success, then I'm sure the LGBTQ activists would say we're successful. Because we've got a lot of people to believe that homosexuality is normal, not abnormal. In fact, not only are they propounding that it's normal, they're propounding that it's superior. Because remember, to be heterosexual is to be an oppressor. And to be homosexual is to be a victim or the oppressed. So that means by definition, heterosexuality is inferior because it's inherently evil. It's oppressive. So by that definition, Planned Parenthood is successful. I mean, they're killing a bunch of unborn babies. They're accomplishing their aims. If that's success, that the accomplishment of an aim or purpose, if that's the neutral definition, that's the appropriate definition of success, then the devil is successful. He's a smashing success because he, he accomplishes his, his aims and purposes a lot, doesn't he? I mean, all you got to do is look around. You see him moving in people and getting all kinds of things done. That can't possibly be what God has in mind. So the world separates moral and spiritual and ethical excellence from wealth, influence, and power. And the world's attitude is they don't care how you get it as long as you get it. And once you've got it, you're respected for having it. I don't think we know yet how many people flew around with Jeffrey Epstein because he uh, was a billionaire, had his own island, had his own airplanes. He could fly important people in to do all kinds of abominable things out of the public view because he was successful. Well, now he's dead and in hell. One way or the other. Amen. Amen. Now, look, there's one exception with this. And so the, the left has taken the attitude that if you have money, but you're not on their side, then there's some question should, that should be raised about you. So they don't like wealthy Christians. They don't like Donald Trump. But if you're George Soros, who has earned your money manipulating the currency of foreign countries to, the, to, the, to such an extent that you've almost destroyed the economy of foreign countries, there are nations in the world today that ban George Soros from coming to their country because they know he's such a crook. But from the left's perspective, he's wonderful because he funds their projects. We don't need to question that. But if you're Donald Trump, oh my goodness, everything should come under question. That's the exception. Generally speaking, nobody really cares how you got it <laughs> as long as you've got it you know, in the world. But look, God sees things differently. Because the Hebrew word for prosperous, one of the Hebrew words for prosperous is the word kail. Um, the name kai comes from this Hebrew word. Kai is the root word. Well, kai 
means alive and healthy in the best sense of the word. I mean, it means, it means vibrant. Kai. Kail means wealth. So you see how God does not separate a vibrant, effective, moral, spiritual life, because that's how God views life. He does not separate life from prosperity and wealth and influence. God knits the two together. In fact, what's the word say? I think it's Hebrews 13, 22. The blessing of the Lord makes, uh, not Hebrews, Proverbs. The blessing of the Lord makes rich and adds no sorrow to it. See, so God does not separate the two. So when you're successful in God, because God has prospered you, God honors that. But when you're successful without that, that you might as well be a pauper in God's sight. He doesn't honor anything you've got. I, I, look, let me, can I just be plain about this? God loves Bill Gates. He doesn't honor him. He doesn't honor him. Because he knows what he's built, he's built outside of God. And what he's trying to do with that wealth right now, he's doing completely apart from God. Warren Buffett, already mentioned George Soros, Mark Zuckerberg, go right down the line. Fabulously wealthy people, by all definitions in the world, successful, and God looks at them as abject failures. Abject failures. See, the biblical worldview would say, no, the spiritual condition of a person is the primary basis for evaluating their success. If they're rotten and, 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 and wicked and twisted on the inside, okay, if they've got a trillion dollars, from God's perspective, they are failures. But if a person has nothing in the way of material wealth, but, but, they're, but they're rich in God, they, they love God, they believe in God, and their hope is in God and in the promises of his word, God says they're rich already. I'm going to show you this. 3 John chapter, uh, uh, chapter 1, 3 John, only one chapter, but 3 John uh, verse 2 says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things, in all things, and be in health, just as your soul prospers. Not, I hope your soul prospers. I hope you got all this other prosperity and maybe your soul prospers too. But no, no, no. I pray that your soul would be prosperous and then you would prosper in all things as a result. Amen? Amen. Amen. In other words, I pray that your financial and physical well-being will match your spiritual well-being. You all see that? That, see, we're talking about true success, not the world's definition, but true success. So what does it mean to be successful from a Christian perspective then? Let's go back to our text in uh, Joshua chapter 1. It says, you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success if, if, you do certain things. Now, that doesn't mean that a person won't have money or power or influence without doing these things because you can get it other ways, right? I mean, you all realize, don't you, that Miami exploded with wealth as a result of the drug trade. A lot of the buildings built in Miami were built by drug money. I mean, they had warehouses full of money. They didn't know what to do with it. 
So I'm not saying that a person won't have wealth or power. I mean, they put, I think they put, uh, was it, uh, who, who was they? But they put one of the, the, the drug, uh, uh, drug uh, cartel leaders on Forbes magazine, Fortune 500. He's one of the wealthiest men in the world one time. Put, it, put his picture on the magazine. Yeah. So I'm not saying you can't get it in other ways. I'm saying you can get it, but it's not success, not in God's sight. So it says, if you do these things, here's number one, keep the word of God in your mouth. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Keep the word of God in your mouth. Now that means that the word of God is never, ever, ever to be removed from your mouth. Now let's explore what does that mean? It means that you've got to have the word of God in your conversation. Now listen to me closely. In your conversation with others, with yourself, and with God. You've got to have the word of God in your conversation with others, with yourself, and with God. Now look. Am I implying that you got to somehow shoehorn the word of God into every conversation that you, get, you have? Well, let's, let, let's think about that for a second, okay? I'll come back to that. Um, and it's not, by the way, that's not a bad idea to do that. But is that what the scripture's saying here? Well, what about conversation with myself? Now, Bishop, you know, should I go around talking to myself all the time? No, you might get locked up doing that. <laughs> But obviously, you, know, you all know, don't you, that we are all always having an ongoing conversation with ourselves. We just don't say it out loud most of the time. But we're talking to ourselves all the time, right? Anybody, would anybody deny that? Sure we are. Sure we are. Some of that conversation needs to be about God's word with yourself. You know, I preached a sermon um, on praise. I think it was Palm Sunday. And I talked about if we praise more, we would have to petition less because he inhabits and is enthroned in the praises of his people. I say when God shows up, he brings everything with him. And so I, as a result of that message, see, I'm always looking for how can I improve my spiritual life? When I teach these things to you all, I'm looking for how I can improve my spiritual life. So part of my devotion now, I read aloud Psalms 145 through 150. It's not that long, but they're all praise Psalms. And I read those aloud and praise God with those psalms. Not asking for anything, not petitioning God, just praising God. And, and I don't just do it to myself. Nothing wrong with that, by the way. But I do it aloud because here's the thing you have to understand about this whole biblical notion uh, that, that is announced both in the Old and the New Covenant of speaking the words of your mouth. The first person to hear what you say is you. But, but, but get this. You are the only person who hears it internally. That's why your voice doesn't sound the same when you listen to yourself talk as it sounds when you're listening to it on a tape. Because you're not just listening to the sound coming out of your mouth. You're listening to the resonance of your voice in your entire body. Because when you speak and see Jesus confirmed this, he said, because what goes, comes out of the mouth, what? Goes into the heart. So the first person who receives what you're saying is you. That's why I tell people, look, I'm not saying that you're going to go to hell because you say a bad word. But what I'm saying is 
that when you say a nasty word, the first person that word affects is you. I said, cursing, using profanity, I said, is like eating dirt. Because that's really what you're doing, according to what Jesus said. You're, you're, you're consuming filth. Bad enough that other people have to hear it, but you, but, but you are the one who is most affecting because Jesus said it will defile you. Amen? Amen. Amen. So, so the word is not to be removed from your mouth. Now, the third question is, um, so what does this say about when I'm praying? When you're praying, what it says is the word of God ought to be included in your prayer life. You ought to be rooting and grounding your prayer in the word of God and what the word of God promises you. I mean, look, I can pray all I want. Lord, I want to go up on the top of this building and jump off and flap my arms and fly. Please let me do that. But there's no promise in here that that's going to happen. In fact, I'll tell you what's going to happen. Splat. <laughs> But when we just prayed for Ruth for healing, what the word of God does promise us that. It does promise us healing. I said he is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, your healer. And Jesus, I, you know, I say when people say, well, God doesn't want to heal everybody. I say, well, then prove that to me by scripture. Because when Jesus went about, there was not one case in which Jesus said, you know what? Not you, because you, I, I, I got other plans. I, I want you to stay sick. Not once. See, even the guy at the pool of Bethesda who had a terrible attitude because Jesus went to say, do you want to be healed? Oh, well, Lord, you know, when I try to get down in the pool, other people jump in before me and I can't get down and I'm oppressed. You just don't understand <laughs> what they, what, what's happened to me. And Jesus, Jesus I, didn't, I didn't ask you for all that. <laughs> do you want to get healed? <laughs> and so he did heal the man. And then as soon as they were looking to, uh, to, to arrest Jesus for healing on the Sabbath, he was the first, yeah, he, that's the one, he did it. <laughs> Even he got healed. Say, well, but Bishop, why, does, why doesn't everybody get healed? I don't know. Because I believe that's a complex set of questions about where that person is in their life, what they've sown, what they want from God, the, the, the faith of those around them the circumstances or the situation that that, that that whole thing entails. And then when my mother-in-law was six, she was in her 90s, and uh, my, my wife and I went to see her, we were praying, and we had relatives come in, and, you know, and we heard this over, well, now you know, she's lived a long time. And I, we, I just basically said to some, look, just shut up with that. I'd be pleased, just shut up with that. Because... We're praying for her to be healed. We're not preparing for a funeral. Amen. She got healed and lived three or four more years. Amen. And, and, and she had gangrene in the intestine at 90-some years old and got healed and went home. Amen. So, so if we had gone in there and said, oh, mama, it's been a good life, hadn't it? But, you know, there comes the time. I mean... Well, you know, we could have very easily gotten a different result. Say, well, wait a minute, but if God wanted to heal her, why wouldn't he just do it? Have you read James 1 that says, Ask in faith nothing doubting, for he who doubts is like the wave driven by the wind and tossed, and let not that man think that he shall receive anything from the Lord? Don't tell me your prayers and your faith don't matter. 
Because otherwise, why does God say, ask and it shall be given? And, and James uh, 3 says, you have not because you ask not. And sometimes you ask amiss that you may consume it on your lust. So don't tell me prayer doesn't have anything to do with it. God just does whatever he wants to do. That's not, that's not scriptural at all. Amen? Amen. Amen. So, so look, when you pray, pray the word of God. Include the word of God in your prayer. Include the promises of God in your prayers. And, and do some of that praying out loud so that your ears, your being, can have that word sewn back into your heart. Amen. Now, now I, I mentioned this. I call this spiritual anatomy. I, I don't know how God did this or why God did this, but this is God's design. God designed us so that your mouth is connected to your inner being. He designed us that way. Because otherwise, when they told you, Jesus, you don't, you don't wash your hands. He said, look, whatever you eat with your mouth, goes into the drought, comes out. <laughs> Said, but the things that come out of your mouth go into your heart. Wow, interesting. How does that work? I don't know, but that's the way God designed us. I really believe because he designed us to be like him. The Bible says in Genesis chapter one, the spirit of the Lord hovered over the face of the water, but nothing happened until God said. And then when God started talking, things started happening. Amen. So I think just God designed us to be word beings and put authority in us through the power of our words. And, you know, a lot of people have a hard time getting that. But when you use it in the negative, you don't. Because how many of you would want somebody, you know, to every time they see you say something negative to you about you? And then tell me, oh, that wouldn't have any effect on me. Oh, yes, it would. Oh, yes, it would. And the scripture says it will. So that's that's whatever is deposited in your heart, then is also this thing is a is a is a synergy. Whatever is deposited in your heart in abundance. Guess what's going to happen with it? It's coming out of your mouth. You keep. So, so here's the answer then. It's not that I'm looking, I'm having a conversation and we're talking about a car and I say, oh, have you heard what the scripture says about cars? I mean, it's not like that. It's that you have so much word in you that somewhere in the course of the conversation, it just comes out. It just spills out because it's in you in abundance. Amen? Amen. That's, that's what it's saying. Keep it in your heart. Because if you keep it in your heart, it's going to come out of your mouth. And it's a, a critical key to success. Not, not according to Bishop Jackson, according to what God said to Joshua. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 says, confirming this, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. There it is again. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, meaning no, no nasty word, no filthy word, no, no non-edifying word, you know, no, no negative word. I mean, I, I often say, you know, Christians should not engage in coarse jesting. The Bible says that. Christians should not be telling nasty jokes. Uh, that's, that's, we, we're, we're, we're holy people set aside for God. We don't, we don't talk like that. That's a corrupt word. It says, don't let that come out of your mouth. It says, but what is good for necessary edification. Ah, so in other words, when a good word comes out of your mouth, it can actually edify. 
A bad word can what? Defile. A good word can what? Build up. So if you want to build yourself up, you better start saying some good stuff out of your mouth. I said when, when you know, we, 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 we have taken to saying, uh, when people ask us how we are, and you, I get some interesting reactions when I say this to people outside the church, you know, I'm blessed. How you doing? I'm blessed and highly favored. People, some, a lot of people say, me too. Well, praise God. <laughs> but I say, I don't say that to impress other people, although it may have an impact on them. I say that to remind myself who I am in Christ Jesus. And see, because, look, it's easy to be thinking that when everything is going right, right but that's the confession you want to make when things look like everything's going wrong. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. I'm blessed and highly favored. Amen. Because what? He inhabits the praises of his people. Amen. You're inviting God to get involved in, what, in your life and what you're doing. And here again, I haven't gotten to it yet, but I'm going to get to it. That's why I'm so hopeful about this country, because if Christians ultimately learn who we are and the power of God that is in us, you can't bring this country down with Christians here standing in the gap. You can't do it. You can't do it because Marxism is of the devil. All this Black Lives Matter stuff is of the devil. You can't bring this country down with that stuff if Christians are willing to stand up for what we believe in. You can't because that stuff is impotent. But the power of God cannot be defeated. What we got to do is learn who we are and stand on who we are. Amen. 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 Proverbs 12, 18 says, there is one, oh, and let me finish this, Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Wow. So in other words, you're not just saying something that people are hearing, you are imparting something to them. Because what? Jesus said, my words are spirit and they are life. So when you say something based on the word of God, it has life in it. And you impart grace to those who receive it. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Some of you know, have heard me talk about Terry Laser. Terry Laser is a guy I'm looking forward to meeting in heaven. When I was in the Marine Corps, um, I got orders to go to Okinawa where the orders were coming down. and I was the one chosen for those orders. Terry Laser and I were both ANTPQ, ANTPQ, yeah, ANTPQ-10 radar technicians. And um, because we had the same MOS and I was married with a child and, and Terry was single, Terry went to our, our commanding officer and said, you know, I, I want to volunteer to go. And apparently the rule at the time was if you have two, two of the same MOS and one volunteers for orders, uh, then that person gets first choice. And so he wanted the order, so he took them. And I, I was you know, very grateful to him because he said, why should you go? You're married and you're here and I, I want to see the world. I don't have to leave anybody to go. And so Terry got orders and, and left. After I got out, I went by his house to find out how Terry was doing. And his mother said, Terry's dead. I said, dead? She said, yeah, he got sent from Okinawa to Cherry Point and something happened that got Terry killed, but the military will not release the information on his death. And I've often thought to myself that Terry gave his life really for me in a sense because those should have been my orders and I should have been the one who, who ended up dead as a result of those orders. Terry was a devout Christian. Terry loved God. And Terry said some things to me that I realize now, I realized as soon as I got saved, that God had used him to impart grace to me. I just didn't know it. I came home one day and told my wife, 
I don't know whether she remembers, but I remember it very well. After a conversation with Terry, I said, you know, I, I realized if I really want to get my life together, I'll go ahead and be a Christian. And then I went on back to being a heathen. But, you know. <laughs> but, but I never forgot. I never forgot that, and I never forgot Terry. Um, but he imparted grace to me. And he probably didn't realize that that's what he was doing, but God was using him to do that because he was speaking the word of God into my heart.